Our episode today will not feature our regular sponsor in order to promote Harvey Relief. If you're looking for a way to help, there are tons of organizations out there, and we encourage you to donate or get involved. If you don't know where to turn, we're recommending Northwest Assistance Ministries in Spring, Texas. To donate to Northwest Assistance Ministries, simply go to our website, productiveministry.org slash Harvey. That's productiveministry.org slash Harvey. We'll redirect you straight to their Harvey Relief donation page. Every little bit helps. And please continue to pray for the Texas Gulf Coast. Productive Ministry. Our guest today is Scotty Sanders, who is CEO of LifeCatalystConsulting.com. Welcome on the show, Scotty. Glad you're here. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Rocky. Thank you for the invite. What do you guys do? We help churches to get healthy. That's the main thing. A lot of that has to do with leadership development and coaching. But, you know, helping churches get to place of saying, this is how we do church. We want to be healthy. We want to be life-giving. And so working with staff to get to the place where it's a place they enjoy going to work. They feel like they have a good purpose. They have great clarity. And for that, hopefully the kingdom advances. We're really focusing on conflict this month because conflict is something that happens in, in every industry, on every level. Yeah. And because our audience works in churches, do you have a lot of opportunity when you go into a church to help churches work through staff conflict? Staff conflict is very common. And I'll be honest with you, Rocky. I do not necessarily like to deal one-on-one with conflict. In fact, I tell people all the time, if you need counseling, I wouldn't recommend me. So I'm not necessarily the person I want to do that. You're not the therapist. No, I'm not the therapist. I don't want to get that. But what I like to do is help them to get good you know, good tools in place to deal with conflict. And that's one of the things that I help a church do is put in, and I call it my 12 steps to resolving conflict and really be more proactive rather than reactive. A lot of times we're, you know, it gets to be so bad, it becomes almost like someone's got to leave or someone gets mad versus let's have, let's have a, a philosophy approach to resolve those things early and often versus it becomes such a big issue, it blows up in the church. Right. What is the most common, like, staff conflicts in churches? Well, I I think the underlying factor of all of it is trust issues. Oh, yeah. When people don't trust each other. You think about in a marriage or any kind of relationship, when you don't trust each other, it's going to create conflict, you know, because you you don't trust this person's motivation or their agenda or their attitude, whatever it may be. And that leads to conflict. But when you trust people, you're looking for the good. When you don't trust people, you're looking for the bad. And here's the thing. If you're looking for the bad, you can always find bad things. You say looking for the bad. I'm thinking of all the times that I've led staff because, uh, okay, so confession time. I have <laughs> I have natural gifting, right? Part of my natural gifting is is that I have a very strategic mind. But what that means also is that I have an ability to kind of see where things are lacking. Yes. And sometimes when I'm communicating, like those are the things that I maybe lead off with. Like, oh, here's something we can improve and here's something we can improve. Am I part of the problem, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, there's a difference in critical thinking and cynical thinking. 
right? Okay. You know, so critical thinking can be beneficial and helpful. And here's the thing I always look at. And and in fact, I was having a conversation with my son, who's a sales manager of an organization, and he's been one of my favorite people to coach because he's known me his entire life, but to get to do him as an adult. And he said, Dad, you've, you've got this ability. It's a God-given ability that you can challenge people to a whole nother level but you can do it in a way to keep them accountable and they don't get mad at you, you know? Right. And I've gotten better over time. So learning how to communicate when you have something to coach someone or be, even being critical. You know, I think critical thinking can be helpful. It helps you to grow. But I think at the end of the day, it goes back to trust again. When staff members that you work with, if they believe in you and you that you tr- that you that they trust you, they'll allow you to speak into them. And my thing is always, when I have that difficult conversation, I always try to couch it with this. If I didn't believe in you, Rocky, I wouldn't even be having this conversation. But I believe you can do better, and I want to help you do better. But, like, trust is relational, right? And so I can't be the new guy. Am I at a disadvantage if I'm, like, the new guy at a church and I immediately just start critiquing everything that's there? Because, like, that's why they hired me, right? Yes. That, that's my job. So how do you build How do you build trust when you're the new guy? Yeah. Well, I'm brought into a lot of times churches that have very difficult situations where they wouldn't bring me in. And so I have to become a trusted advisor early on. And I think a lot of that goes back to your, your own personal credibility and how well you lead yourself. And what is your track record? You know, if you don't have a track record to run on and you don't have, I like to say, skins on the wall, that may be a little bit of my Louisiana upbringing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you go in there and you start touting this and that and you and you really have no track record of leading yourself well or seeing kingdom growth in what you've done, then you're not, it's going to take longer to do that. But but still, it goes back to relationships, mm-hmm. talking to people and, and listening to them and asking them good questions. So I have to work really, really hard to talk less and listen more. They're not going to listen to you. So there has to be that personal credibility. And they also have to, you know, see you and your heart coming through. You're really there to help them. And I think the stronger the relationship, the more opportunity you get to speak into that. And it does take a little bit of time. You know what I'm saying? You can't go in day one doing that. But so you need a good track record and you need good relationships. And they need to be able to trust you in that. I started thinking about why I started working at a church I had an admin and she didn't appreciate the fact that my emails were so short. Like I never, would never be like, how are you doing or whatever. <laughs> I would just be like, um, Hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this. And thanks. And then Rocky, but then at my, my staff review that week that came up and they were like, you really need to start asking how she's doing in the emails and things like that. Little things like that are, are important yes. for relationship building. It, I, I have to I have to admit it's not natural to me. I don't understand why people need that. Is that terrible? It's not terrible. And again, I think it gets back to Rocky looking at your position and involvement. Is it's not so much for you, but how can you serve them better? You know what I'm saying? So you right. you really you really invert the pyramid of saying I'm here. Jesus got on his knees and he washed the feet of the disciples. He served his disciples. So I think, I think again, when you, when you do the switch of saying, it's not for my administrative assistant to help me, but how can I help her help me, if you will? And so for that particular lady, you're giving an example where she needed more of that relationship. So it may be stopping her office and asking her about her family or her children or her day and so forth. That's back to that relationship. For some, you do that there and say, Rocky, get down to it, man. What, what, what are you doing here? I don't need all that. And that's where you get to really serve your team to know how best to communicate to them. Right. You know, I have different people. I'll communicate to one person way different than I will another one. 
Do you find that there's a lot of conflict between senior staff members and like admins? Is that is that a common thing? It's pretty common, and part of that is we don't communicate clearly. We don't we don't value people. Uh, I've always had very strong relationships with my administrative assistants, and, and usually at the level they were called executive assistants, so they were fairly highly paid, high-level type individuals, but I always wanted to value them. I made them feel a part of the team. I tried to give them credit, and I tried to take responsibility when things didn't go well. And those are just really, to me, basic blocking and tackling a ministry of valuing people the way that you should and stuff. Yeah. So if you're, if your admin doesn't feel like they are – that they're aware of what's going on. People are calling and asking things and they're hearing about it for the first time from other people and they don't feel like you think about them when you're planning things or whatever. Those are those are little things that start conflict. They start, they, you're, you're, you're setting a, a fire to things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you're setting yourself up for problems. You want your administrative assistant to always be informed, not being surprised. I had a standard thing when I operated in an office for many, many years as executive pastor in a large church. I, I would be in the office on Monday mornings at seven o'clock. My first meeting was at eight o'clock with my executive assistant and she came in with the agenda. I didn't have an agenda for her. It was her agenda. How would what do you need from me? What decisions do you need made? What are, what are we looking at this week? And so I would tee her up to make sure we move the ball down the field that week. And so that was a priority. I wanted her to know you're the first person I'm meeting with. And sometimes she may have some assignments to me. If Scott, did you get those cards written for this? So I let her manage some of those in the weed details. And it released me to think more at the 10,000 and 30,000 feet. But she felt like she had what she needed to at least get the week off to a good start. So very rarely was she ever surprised. How does that work with staff? You know, let's say I'm, I, I don't want to say an executive at a church, but mm -hmm. like I'm senior level, whatever, ministry leadership. Uh, it's the same principles though, right? Uh, including your team, whether they're, you know, you have the senior pastor, but then you have the staff under that, whatever churches are, whether it's youth ministry, children's ministry, men's, women's, whatever different campus pastors in, in my situation, it, it's that same level of communication, right? Yes. Yeah. Again, it goes back to, you know, if people don't feel like they're in the loop and they're being surprised about things, it's just, that's, that's a way to do it. It may be the worst way to do it, right? It's a better way to do it. One of the things I'm really big on doing, and it takes time. In fact, I brought a, a sample that I can show you, but okay. helping helping churches to develop what I call their guiding principles. This is how we do ministry together. You know, working with Bridgeway Church, we, we developed early on our guiding principles, and that creates boundaries and guardrails on how we do work together. So one of our guiding principles is collaboration. So we we that's just what we do. We don't go out and make a decision in a vacuum. We're going to make sure we collaborate. By the way, when you look at the word collaborate, it's co-labor. We co-labor together. But part of co-laboring is communicating with each other. So I think it's important to set the ground rules. This is how we want to do ministry together. Because here's the thing. When you have a team of people, and if you don't if you don't nail those down, everybody has their own ground rules. You just don't know what mine are. I don't know what yours are. And it, it leads to unmet expectations, mm. disappointment versus let's all agree. This is how we do ministry. And here's the thing. The higher you're up in leadership, the more accountable and responsible you have to be. That's good. How do I set those rules and, and guiding principles? Because first, let me just say you're absolutely right. 
you know, here, and again, I don't want to give the name of the church because, you know, they worked hard on this. This is about a year long process. And one of the things I would say about your guiding principles would be, it's not something you take from someplace else and say, hey, I like what they're doing. You've got to own it. There's got to be buy-in and there's got to be a little sweat, blood and tears over this. This was about a 15 month process. This is, a, this is an example of a very large church, one of the mega churches in the Metroplex that I work with, I've worked with for a period of time. But now they almost feel like we need to trademark this because it's there. Oh, yeah. I hate to break the news to them that I've done this with multiple churches and it's pretty similar, but they took ownership they into it. Are that way. Yeah, they, 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 we want to we want to we want to trademark this. But this is something with their staff. They review every week in staff meeting to go through one of their guiding principles to, to kind of gauge how they're doing. And so for them, they use the word created. Now, listen, I work with churches. And I, this this is something I can't tell you, you know, the details behind all of it, but. They use the word created. It's kind of their acrostic to what got their guiding principles. So collaboration is for the C. The R is for relational. It goes back to that relational, relational side of things. The E is for excellence. The A is for alignment. The T is for transparency. The E is for empower. And D is for dependence. In fact, I happened to be at this church yesterday in their staff meeting, and we were on the D yesterday. And so we had two or three people give examples of dependence, of how they depend on each other. But ultimately, in what we do, we got to depend on the Lord to do only what He can do. So, you know, we're talking about all these things, and I guess my, my, my first question actually should have been, what are the biggest causes of conflict? Through our conversation, I recognize communication is a big one. Yes. What are some other ones? Well, I, you know, I think, again, uh, alignment issues can be a cause of conflict. When you've got someone coming in and they want to be a lone ranger in the ministry and kind of do their own thing in a vacuum and they're kind of the superstar and they're not working as a team, that creates this competition feel and the lack of collaboration. So it sets up for conflict because this person's off doing their own thing. And mm -hmm. I could give you many examples. You may know of a few examples of, of that happening. That creates a little bit of conflict and tension because there's not alignment. When there's not alignment, it's like your car. If your car's not aligned, it eventually ends up in the ditch. When you say alignment, you're talking about making sure, going back to this. Going back to this or going back to we're all aligned with a common vision, common purpose. You know, this is the common values. We're all working toward a similar goal versus this person's in this silo doing their own thing. Right. And does that connect to like vision, mission? Yes. All, the, all those alignment things would be what are the key things they need to align to? And it would be aligned to the mission the vision, and whatever the values and the goals of the church would be. So do you, do you feel, even in, during the hiring process, churches can hire the wrong person simply because they don't ask someone how they feel about the vision, mission, and goals of the Could church? Could be. You, you want to get a level, again, you have to be careful here because it can't ever come across as being arrogant, but I encourage churches, get to the place you feel so good about this, you work so hard at it, that when you communicate to a potential new hire, now, this is how we do things here. It doesn't mean we can't get better. It doesn't mean you can't come in here and help us get better. But to a certain extent, you've got to buy into the the culture that's already there if it's a healthy culture, right, right. versus coming so, someone coming in. Because all it takes is one person to to really taint that organization. I, I've seen that happen. They can they can sow discord. They can be divisive. They can have a lot of you know, character flaws that can bring that. So that's why here's one of the things that I found. Once you have a good, healthy culture, when someone that is toxic 
it starts sticking out like a sore thumb. How do you know if someone's toxic? Because you can tell by their attitude. You can tell if they're talking behind people uh, in one-on-one meetings and they're being negative about another staff member. Mm-hmm. Uh, just they're being critical to the point of being so negative they never see anything good. And a lot of it, I, I spot that in attitude. And I spot that into: Are they stirring up? Are they stirring up discord and divisiveness? Should a toxin be recuperated or fired? Uh, I, every person should be redeemed, but we don't want to keep a toxic person on the team uh, because the stakes are so high. And what we do, believe it or not, is more important than anything in the world. So why would we keep someone toxic? And here's the thing: I've just kind of have a general principle. If a person is toxic, they need help. And what we don't want to do is run our benevolence ministry through our personnel department. Okay. And what I mean by that is this. If someone needs help, let's help them. But let's not keep them on the team as a way of helping them. Oh, wow. That's pretty straightforward. It is. That's pretty straightforward. And it it may sound lack of grace, but really we're doing everybody a disservice to keep someone because other team members are going to be impacted by that. They may leave. It's going to affect the people in the church. And ultimately, you're not doing that person any favor. You know, you've got to help them to get the help they need. And ministry is so daunting. You don't feel called to it. And the spiritual battles you go through to put someone that's toxic, that's messed up and continue in ministry without getting the help. You know, you may think you're helping them by appeasing and letting them stay there. But ultimately, you, you hurt everybody. Speaking of alignment, I was thinking about there are times where people are very gifted in lots of different ways. Uh, and they have a specific job where uh, there's a ton of things that you need them to do and that are part of their job description, but they're, they're, they don't stay in their own lane. Like they start swerving into other areas. I'm sometimes guilty of this, <laughs> but is that an alignment issue? I would say that's a little bit of alignment. I think that's a little bit of teamwork as well. And, yeah. and, and depending on each other, some people think they're so good at everything, they want to get in other people's lanes, right? right. And that becomes a little bit of you know, a controlling thing for them. Again, it doesn't mean they don't jump in and help, but I think you've you got to be careful there. And listen, ministry is like bumper cars. We're going to bump a little bit. We just don't want to damage each other, right? right? There's a little bit of that in everything we do because things should sync up pretty well. Things in worship crosses over in discipleship and right. so forth. That's really funny. That's, that's probably my big sin is that I'll walk into anybody's office and start coaching them on something. I'm working on it, guys. Don't, <laughs> don't judge me. Okay, so we talked about communication. We talked about alignment. What are some other like flag red flag areas that we should be watching that creates conflict? Well, if you see someone that's you know somewhat of a lone ranger and they're not they're not building relationships and they and they and I hate to say it this way, but it's the truth. They just lack likability. No one seems to get along with them. That would be a concern of mine. You know, what we do is so important that you need those strong relationships. There needs to be a likability factor there that you can get you can play nicely. You know, I've had guys and gals that I refer to as maybe superstars in the ministry, but man, the liability of their likability and relationship, it, it wasn't worth it anymore. And I've always said when your liabilities become greater than your assets in ministry, you know, it may be time to do something different. Yeah. But the church that I'm at now, part of their process was, I remember distinctly having a conversation about, well, we have to make sure that there was like an alignment conversation, but also a likability conversation you know, will Nick like you? Yes. Fortunately, I'm charming as heck. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, it was no problem. It was an easy sell. <laughs> he loved me immediately. I'm not laughing at you, Rocky. I'm laughing with you. Okay. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
communication, that's something we have to watch out for. Alignment, likability. Well, I, I'm going to throw out a couple more. Accountability is very important. You know, we have to be accountable. Ultimately, we're accountable to the Lord, but lack of accountability you know, you say, well, I don't need to be accountable to anybody. That's dangerous. We need to all be accountable. So when you see someone that's not willing to be accountable to anyone, that would be a concern of causing conflict. So there's a lot of accountability means a lot of different things to a lot of people. In, in the context that we're talking about, what does accountability look like? Well, that means within the framework of whatever the governance of the church or the ministry operation that you're you're. You're setting the bar, and I, I've always felt this way about myself, and usually I've been in the senior level of leadership in most churches I've been a part of or helped. I want to be the most accountable. The margin for me is less than someone that would report to me. When it comes in, if it's doing your expense report or honoring your vacation or, or getting back quickly with people, those kind of right. things. You know, just because if you don't lead yourself well, you can't expect to lead others well. And I think that's very that goes back to that that basic accountability. How well are you leading yourself? And I, I ask people this all the time: Would you follow you? If you can't answer yes to that, why would you expect other people to follow you? That's right. accountability. I want to. I don't want anybody to push me harder than I'd push myself. That's right. accountability. If if you've got to motivate me, it's time for me to go. And uh, you said there were a couple more. Okay, I think I think respect. You know, it's very. I, I do a talk on about the the essentials of building trust for the leader, and I talk about there. The T is for time, respecting people's time. Show up on time. You know, start on time. Show up on time. Finish on time. And whatever you do, don't waste people's time. That's very very big. Yeah, I'm big on that. The R is yeah. being responsive. Get back with people. Be responsible and be responsive. And I'm big on under promise over deliver. I don't want to be the person. Well, you know, with Scotty, who knows? He says this, but you know, maybe that will happen half. I want it to be where if I say it, you can almost take that to the bank. So that's the U. So T is time. R for responsive. U for under promise over deliver. The S is say thank you and say please. I don't care if they're your direct reports and it's in their job description. Always be respectful with people. Don't take them for granted. Simple using good manners of respect. And the last one is for talk less and listen more. And that's the one I have to work the hardest on. You know, ask good questions. Listen to people. Don't do all the talking. At the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you have a whole like 12 step program for resolving conflict. I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that. What are what are some of the, the big points? Well, again, this is a multiple hour teaching and I could go. Each one of these are important. They wouldn't be in there. In fact, I was in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago and I had an opportunity to work with uh, probably the largest church in South America. They run between 40,000 and 50,000 people. And this is one of the talks that I did with them and it was riveting the conversation and how it went. So we spent probably three, four hours just on these 12 steps and unpacking those. So just to share a couple ideas is the first one is to learn to embrace and resolve conflict. And let me say this, it's not by flight or by fight. And so as a leader learning to embrace, that's just, that goes with the job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And again, as ambassadors, as, as uh, Christ followers, we need to be reconcilers. So we need to be able to do that. So if that's something that freaks you out or- Peace, Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Yeah, yeah peacemakers. Yeah. yeah, peacemakers. And listen, there's going to be conflict and stuff. So we don't fight and we don't fly. So you learn to say that's something, God, help me to embrace that, to know that's part of my role. 
I do not like dealing with conflict. In fact, I would say to you now, if you're listening to this, if this is something you really enjoy and you look forward to dealing with conflict, you probably need serious counseling. So let me just let yeah. you know that. But if it's something that you understand is part of your calling and God can use you to resolve that, it's one of the best things that you can see happen. You talk about fight. You say don't fight and don't fight, which are so like natural to people. Like our tendency is going to be to either avoid conflict completely or when we know we absolutely, it's getting to the point to where we absolutely have to have a conversation with somebody. Like we sit and we hype ourselves up and we call our best friend and we're like, hey, I'm about to have this. I need you. I need my prayer warriors out there and, and all this other stuff. And then we start really getting into, into fight mode. How do you how do you even begin that process of not being a complete avoider or or getting ready to punch someone in the face? Yeah, again. The, the flight part, the avoider would be you have to be accountable and responsible. That may be part of your role to bring that about. So it, it could be something of just being responsible and wanting to bring about healing. On the fight part would be get your emotions under control and it's not about you. And your in your heart behind it is not to crucify a person, but it really truly is to restore that situation. And so yeah. you've got to get your heart right. It's not about winning. It's about restoration and healing. So it's it's a mindset, and I think prayer. And if you don't have your emotions under control yet, you're not ready to have that conversation. But let me hasten to say, you don't need to take weeks. You might need to take days. Right. And if I'm confronting somebody, I know mentally nobody likes to be confronted, that it's probably going to be, for example, I could say I could go to someone who who I work with and say to them, here are the things that, that we've been wanting you. This is what happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I know my assumption is always going to be, well, they're about to attack me now. I've told them some genuine concerns that, that, that I have. And my assumption is, because I'm a negative person, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to make this interview about me, Scotty, but let me tell you about what's happening. <laughs> no, is that is that their next step is going to be, you're a terrible boss and you do this and nobody likes you and your hair is stupid or whatever it is that they say. And I can, I'm fine with that. I can prepare that. But all of those things are a distraction. How do you keep the conversation on the things that, that are important? Well, uh, you brought up some valid concerns that most people deal with. And listen, yeah. it, it's daunting. And I, I think that's where we underestimate and I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but that's through prayer and having your spirit right and let the spirit lead you in that. And part of it is, too, if it's coming out of a good relationship and that person trusts you, they'll typically receive it better. So that goes back to why that's so important. And I think the other thing, too, is making sure that you model confrontation well when you're confronted, Okay. And I've been, again, in senior lead positions, and I encourage people. I encourage people. Yeah. I encourage people. Listen, it, I'm, I'm the most accountable. And if someone comes to me that reports to me and confronts me, you know what I'm going to do at the next opportunity in front of my group? I'm going to highlight the fact that Rocky came to me, guys, and I want you to know how much I appreciate Rocky coming to me. Again, yeah. I want to I want to elevate that, that that becomes part of our culture, that we right. can do that and it's safe to do it. But the leader has got to show the way, has got to model that. So you highlight those that then when you have to confront someone, you've already shown them the way to do that, right? right. And the truth is, is that in any organization, if there is not conflict, then you're not growing, you're not stretching, you're not learning. And so it has to be, you're absolutely right, it has to be yeah. part of the conversation. Well, I've said in staff meetings, you know, before, hey, if we don't if we don't get a little, 
you know, upset and even throw a chair every once in a while. We're probably not having a good staff meeting. It needs to be passionate. We're engaged and it's okay to do that because we're all on the same team and we're, we're pulling in the same direction. So we don't want people sitting back and unengaged because they're afraid if they say something wrong, it's going to create, create some conflict. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Conflict makes us better. We grow in that. Again, it needs to be healthy, biblical conflict. Okay, so I've taken a couple of days to pray about it, and I'm about to have a conversation. Then what do I do? I have to go to them, and I have to do what? Well, one, I would say try to do that in person, if any way possible. I would never do that via text, yeah. not email, again, depending on the seriousness of it. Every once in a while, I've got to do that on the phone just because I'm working with people literally around the world. It could be in someone in Thailand or Wales or California. So sometimes I have to deal with conflict via the phone or, or Skype. But ideally, you want to... You want to have enough time. You sit down. You've prayed up and just say, hey, I need, to, I need to have a conversation. Can we meet for a few minutes? And then I would start out by just saying, hey, and I'll give this an example. Hey, Rocky, I want to visit with you about something, but I want you to know I'm having this conversation with you because I believe in you and I believe this is something that can help you to grow. Okay, so I want you to know that. And immediately my anxiety starts. It's going to happen. Yeah. You can't avoid that. You know, yeah. it's, it's the nature of it. It's, it is dealing with conflict. So just know that it, generally speaking, they're not going to be high-fiving you out of the gate. They're just not yeah. going to do that, right? So that's just part. There's that tension that's going to be created there, but you do it in such a sincere, genuine way. They hear your heart. And listen, here's the thing. When I talk to you, you don't have to own 100% of that. Just because I'm confronting you doesn't mean it's all right. Right. But you, what you do, Scotty, thank you for coming to me. Let me pray about this, process this. And there's certainly some of this I need to absolutely own. But I appreciate, these ought to be the words out of your mouth next. I appreciate you coming to me and talking to me directly about this. Yeah. Now, that's a that's a back and forth. But that's when that happens that way, there's healthiness there. You may go back and say, man, half of what Scotty said to me, I just don't agree with. You pray about it and you own what you can own. And I always go with what I call the 2% rule. When anybody confronts me, there's always at least 2% that they're right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It may be 98%, but there's always 2% that I need to focus on. So let me focus on what I can do versus what I disagree with. Okay, so one of your points is definitely learn to embrace conflict. What's another one? Uh, another one I'd share again, I, I could pick another one out of the 12, but I think, you know, in Ephesians, it gives us a great template on how do we have effective communication? Because that's dealing with conflict. How do we effectively communicate that? And it talks about in the Bible, speak the truth in love. And I think there's a reason it has got two parts of that, truth and love. And we mm -hmm. tend to err on one side or the other. Right. And it could be, you think about Think about times when you've gone to meet with someone. You may be a little bit angry. You may be fired up. And then you get there, and now you're dealing with a real person sitting across the table. And the next thing you do, you shrink back from what you need to tell. You know, in a court of law, when they get you to come in, they, they get you to swear on the Bible. And they say, do you, do you promise to tell the truth and the whole truth? They say it for a reason. We we sometimes shrink back from the whole truth. Now, again, we want to always do that in love, but make sure there's love and truth and not just truth and not just love. If not, you've not effectively communicated. So right. I think that's very important. I think people are scared of the truth. Like they're, they go in and they might even build up enough courage and find, to finally sit someone down and have the conversation. And then they won't say everything they want to say. They'll say about... 50% of what they actually want to say and not just lay their cards on the table. Yes. Uh, is, how do you, how do you overcome that? Or 
Yeah, and I, I would say this. When you have those type of conversations, don't be shooting from the hip because if you do, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. You need to pray through and really thought through your talking points before you can confront. If not, you know, you're going to get in there and you're, you're going to shrink back from that. You know what I'm saying? Or you're going to go over the top. So I would have prayed through, thought through, rehearsed a little bit, and even have it written out. Here's, I want to make sure because I want to help you here. So I've, I've I've written out some things I want to talk to you about. You want to be careful you don't have this long list of 20 things, but you want to script it out a little bit what you want to make sure you communicate. If not, you will shrink back from that. Right. And then one of the things I always tell people is if you're going to confront someone, it shouldn't just be about your feelings. Like there has to be an actual thing that is going wrong. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's not just like in general, you're an annoying person. Right. And in general, I don't like the way you smell. But, you know, if you're going to if you're going to do some Matthew 18, there needs to be an actual sin that is happening. Yes. Not just like an opinion, but, you know, I, I have been in those conversations where even as I'm mediating people, one party will say something and they'll have communicated to me exactly what their grievances are. And it'll make sense enough for me to sit in the room with them, but then they will suddenly be overcome by emotion and not talk about anything at all. And then you're just like, well, why are we here at all? Cause you didn't say, and I have to interject and say, well, actually, you said this in our conversation. Yes. You didn't even mention this other stuff. So where is this coming from? So you say actually write it down yeah. or have a list, but not of 20 things. Right. You don't you don't want a person feel like you've got a list on them. But just for your own communication effectiveness, it's good to have thought it out. You know, putting things on paper helps you to kind of clear your mind. And another thing, you may write it out and realize this isn't as big a deal as I thought it was. You know, we have vain imaginations. We have things in our head. We make it out to be bigger than it is. And a lot of times it's feeling, but when you really get down to it, it may not be as big as we make it out to be. So some of that's to help yourself to make sure you clarify what the real issue is. And and not and that would be another one I mentioned. Don't go in and deal with generalities. Be as specific as you can of what the issue is. If you don't, people don't grow from that. Right. You know, if you say, generally speaking, you need to get better at doing something, but you don't give them a specific thing or a real example, it, it becomes, you know, nebulous. No, Christians are bad at this because of grace. So I know that that's, that I'm, I'm just being honest, like, we always want to say, like, well, God is using this terrible person for my sanctification. You know, they did this once, but I'm going to show them grace and I'm not going to call them on it immediately. It might be a fluke. Like, how many times, like, how quickly should you... Confront. How did you say it? Speak to the other person in truth and love. Like how? At what point should you, should that conversation happen? Well, again, I think we have to be careful that you're not just pick your battles a little bit and just don't run after everything. Some things you may say you again out of relationship, you may give the person the benefit of the doubt. You may say something to me in a meeting and it may sting me a little bit, but I'm saying, you know what? That's not Rocky's heart. That's not what he intended to say. I'm going to probably give you a pass on that. Right. But if I see a pattern of that, you know, or I see you hurting other people, I'm saying, man, Rocky, I need to talk to you about something. You probably don't realize this, but when you say that, let me tell you what that's communicating. And I just think you need to be careful there. So, you know, again, I think we, you know, we don't want to wait, you know, and, and confront someone and say, and tell them about something that happened six months ago. Yeah. It, it, that's too late. You've missed the window of opportunity. But on the other side, you know, you want to give a person the benefit of the doubt a little bit that you don't just assume the worst. Right. And here's something else I would say. When you have when you deal with conflict, you know, in Galatians, it talks about, you know, that we're to go to people gently. And we need to be careful that the spiritual mature to go with people, but we're still to do it with gentle. And I think the reason it talks about gentle is because, you know, God understands we're fragile. 
Right. You know, we are, we are fragile. So we need to go with, with fear and, and we need to go with it with humility, not to hurt, but to really help that person. And so I think that's good to remember that whoever I'm talking to, that's a person and I've got to be, they're fragile enough. I've got to be gentle. So God help me to communicate gentleness and care, but firmness and fairness that they can grow from that. Absolutely. What about the love part? Like what is, I'm good on the truth part. Like obviously (laughs) for me, that's the thing that I'm going to focus on. But the other half of that is I have to speak the truth, but I have to speak to them in in love. And so talk to me like I'm five years old. Yeah. Well, here, here's uh, what a a pastor friend of mine used to do for me, Rocky. Maybe this will help you, okay, all right? So you. periodically he would bring me in his office and he and I were very close, close friends, but great pastor. And uh, he had this brick on his on his credenza that had velvet on it. Mm-hmm. And, and what he would do periodically with me when he had to confront me, he would get that velvet brick and put it out in front of me. He said, Scotty, you know, I think you need to work on adding some more velvet to your brick. And basically what he was saying to me is that you tend to, be more brick, truth, less velvet, love. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a great reminder to me. So again, sometimes people can point that out to you. If you, you err on the side of so much truth, people didn't hear the, your heart, the love. And I've really worked on that through the years. That right. I've had people tell me, Scotty, man, when you share your heart, it makes such a big difference. I've, I, I don't know if that's being a grandfather now. It's helped me to do more of that. But just, I want people to hear my heart, that I care about them. And that's, See, that's the thing. so tough for me because... <laughs> My thought is, I don't need you to understand my heart. I just need you to do your job. Yeah, you know, and that's that's difficult. Well, that's where you're going to. You're, you you need to seek understanding yeah. and not so much correction, right? Yeah. Some of that may be, hey, I, I want to understand where you're coming from on this. So I, I think that's an important thing that you have to bring to that conversation that you really want to understand yeah. what would make them show up late to meeting day after day after day to the point of, hey, do I need to just start calling you at six o'clock in the morning, make sure you're up to be at the meetings on time? I should be like, I've noticed that you're always late. Are you, are you depressed? Are you, is there something going on late at night that's keeping you from waking up? And I don't know if I'd say depressed. I might (laughs) would say what, what, what's, what's going on there? What's the challenge? Cause Hey, I want to help you with this. Cause that sets a bad example for everybody else. And I don't know if you realize that when you show up late, what it communicates to me and others a little bit of not respecting other people's time. Yeah, man, that's that's really tough stuff. I mean, I have to think about that. <laughs> I mean, I have to think about that. It seems that when you're talking about conflict resolution, that you're that the whole foundation is built on this idea of good relationships, because you keep saying that term, good relationships. Um, if I'm a leader in my church, uh, how do I develop good relationships among my staff? What what sort of coaching can you give us? Well, I think a big thing is that they've got to know that you really do care about them. And again, that, how do you do that? You've got to spend time with them. And when you meet with them, it's to how, what, what are you needing my help with? Providing them good resources, you know, suggesting books to read or this article or whatever, suggesting them they listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. those type things. And you become a good resource. You add yeah. value to them, you know, and that, that helps, you know. People are willing to give you time in exchange for value. They used to just give you time, but time is a limiting factor. So you've got to give them something in value. Same thing with staff. You know, again, they may have to give you time, but they're not engaged because you add no value. So what can you do from a relational and also from a resource standpoint to add enough value that they redeem the time to spend 30 minutes or an hour with you? What do they get in return for that? So, I I mean, I don't have to like take them out to lunch or dinner 
once a month or anything like that, but sending them emails that said, hey, I read this article and I thought you might like it or yes. stuff like I, that. I, I sent two of those type things out to people today that I work with, two different things that I read over the last few days. Man, I think this video may be something you, you could use, this article. You're a resource person. And part of that would be as a leader, you're curating, if you will. There's so much information. Information's not the big deal. How to curate that information, to distill that, to give it to someone to help them is the most most important thing. I always think of like the office and how Michael was always trying to do weird things with his staff. We don't have to do like trust falls or seminars or anything. That's not the best way to develop. I, I'm not necessarily a big proponent of that. I'm not against it. That's not my style. You know, yeah. so you got to find you got to be be the best version of you, Rocky. And temper that with the spirit of Christ and taking that servant role. You know, you can't be me. I can't be you. You probably don't want to be me. You be the best version of you. For me to do that, those type of things, people look at me funny. Like that's not even that's not that's not who Scotty is. Yeah. I think people will see me more of here's a leader I'm willing to follow because he leads himself well. The greatest leadership principle in leading others is how well you lead yourself. How responsive are you getting back with people, making good decisions, using good wisdom, using good judgment. Man, that that's the that's the X factor in my mind. Yeah. I always try to remind myself as a as a church leader that, you know, I work with a bunch of people, but I'm also like my first call is pastor. Really, I, if I don't make the effort, then it's just I go to the office and we do office things all the time. But I have to remind myself, like they go to my church. Yes, I'm a pastor at their church. And so I'm not just this uh, this person that they work with, but I'm someone who cares about their relationship with God. I'm someone who uh, cares that, you know, they have sick relatives or friends. I want to know what God is doing in their lives. And I want to disciple them. Like discipleship has to yes. be part of that process. And the whole reason for productive ministry was that we get so inundated with just the stuff, the work of ministry. Right. That we forget the actual call of ministry so often. Yes. You know? Well, it's part of the shepherding process. Yeah. You know, as a pastor, you want to shepherd the people you lead well. And part of that's protecting them. Some of that is making sure they don't go off the cliff. Some of that, they get out of line. They got to make sure we're all aligned. So I, I think that analogy works very, very well, that we want to shepherd the people we lead very well. Yeah. And you're willing to put yourself at risk for the sheep. Man, I really appreciate your time and effort. Why would a church call you to have you consult for them? What sort of things might you be able to help them with? I know you do more than just conflict resolution. Yes, that, that's just a piece of what I do. I mean, the biggest thing I, I focus on, it really is the leadership piece of helping the church to get healthy. And it could be things like putting a good leadership structure in, helping them to get a, what I call a strategic framework where they zero in on their top goals and what are the lead measures, the strategies put in place to do that. I love getting in there and really laying out a game plan for a church to move forward. I work with a number of churches that have either been plateaued or declining for years and then getting in there and then helping them figure out what do they need to do to get past that. Love getting to do that, but it requires some digging in and doing that. So, and getting to know the church a little bit on that as well. And then, you know, just getting their staff members to lead themselves well. I love getting to do that to help staff members take responsibility, lead themselves well. So, I provide tools and coaching to do that as well. So, again, uh, a lot of different things. I also like helping churches get mobilized for evangelism. Let's not forget why we do what we do. You know, that's one of the greatest things we can do as leaders is not just 
not what we do ourselves, but we become multipliers and mobilizers, then yeah. we have an army of people, not just a handful of staff. Absolutely. That's a game changer in the church. And I'm I'm really good at doing that. I love doing that. Awesome. If I wanted to find out more about your 12 steps to resolving conflict, where would I go? Well, uh, I would I would say at lifecatalystconsulting.com, they right. can go to our website. And if they're interested in having a, a phone call with me, they can fill out a very short form and do that. I'd be glad to kind of talk through some of those things. Uh, so that'd probably be the best place to start. Uh, I would love to have you back on because it sounds like there's about five other, I have five different shows, I show ideas just for talking to you. Would you be willing to do that in the future? I'd definitely be open to awesome. it. It's a pleasure meeting you. This is legally binding now. It's recorded. <laughs> Thanks again, Scotty, for being on our show. It's my pleasure. And that's our show for today. Remember, if you want to donate toward Hurricane Harvey Relief, you can visit our page, ProductiveMinistry.org slash Harvey. That's ProductiveMinistry.org slash Harvey. Today's episode was produced by Tim Jenkins. That's me. Special thanks to our guest today. The Productive Ministry podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. You can also find us on the web at ProductiveMinistry.org, which is also home of our extended show notes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask you to please rate and subscribe. This really does help us. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProductiveMinistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at ProdMinistry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. Tweet about the show using the hashtag Productive Ministry, and we'll thank you on next week's show. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC, and as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week. Mm-hmm.